Welcome to the Multitask. This is John. This is your boy Fadi. What's going on, guys? So it's the end of the year. End of the year. Uh, where this is this pod's airing on Monday the 26th. So everybody had a good Christmas. We're in the middle of Hanukkah. Kwanzaa, first day of Kwanzaa is today. Uh, but we're also going to look at the biggest stories of the year. And it was funny, as we were getting ready to show, getting ready for the show, uh, Fadi and I were talking, and I said, you know, there's a lot that went on this week. And we might need to go ahead and not do a best of the year. And that's when he reminded me that almost all the big stories of this year actually uh, had breaking news this week. So we were able to be both timely and also to look back and do the year in review. So, I mean, do we want to start from the bottom up or do we want to st- yeah, let's start from let's start with number five? Yeah, and, I think I, we start bottom. Yeah. So first, number five is Elon buys Twitter. Uh, let's just have at it. And, and you know, we, we're going to have to try to keep this short, but Elon buys Twitter. Your thoughts and your reaction to the Elon era of Twitter. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a dark horse in the race because it came in towards the end there. He didn't really buy it till after, uh, I think, October, and then he didn't really take over until after the election or whatever. But... Um, yeah, I think it's dominated the news every day since. I don't think there has been a day that hasn't been breaking news. Um, I think that um, it'll also be one of those stories that is constant in 2023. I think Elon's wants to be in the news constantly. He wants the attention. I think he's going to make it so. Um, also, Twitter, it was we all kind of mourned as a community that this is going to look different than what we've been used to the last however many years. And... It's it's just fascinating. I, I don't I don't know how this ends. I don't know exactly how 2023 looks, but I think as far as 2022, also John he took over in October November. But remember there was like the sale, it was the botch sale, then he backed out, and the bots and the lawsuits, and so really it was an ongoing story for the entire year. Um, I hate that it made the list because he's so in, insignificant, and Twitter as a whole obviously. Uh, not life or death, like other things that we're going to talk about. But look, this was this dominated headlines for for majority of the year, and it's it's going to affect our lives. So yeah, I think it's it's a good number five. Well, um, let's talk about some things here. The I think the most interesting thing about him uh, buying Twitter and his conduct at Twitter has been truly how it has really hurt Tesla. You know, I think Tesla closed last week. Uh, at a dollar at $122 from an all-time high, I think was a 460 something. Um, so uh, the man is not, does not have Midas's touch. And I think it's exposing some of his problems that he has in leadership. Uh, you know, lots of really questionable and bad moves. Uh, you know, it's funny because I think the one thing he did today was uh, he said that, um, he, you know, he wants to, or not the, today or this past week, I should say, he wants to go ahead and um, let us figure out or see uh, how many people have viewed a tweet. And someone pointed out that that functionality is already there. So um, I don't know. He's, you know, he, he ran a poll, and this is where we can get to both the story of the year plus what happened this week. He ran a poll that said, um, uh, asked if, if people wanted him to hire a CEO. And, you know, he, he, he overwhelmingly got, uh, yes, hired a different CEO. 
Um, and it looks like he's doing that. But my question is, if whoever is a good CEO who would be a good CEO, would they actually want to come work for him? And quite frankly, when you think about his idiosyncrasies, his personality, his temperament, um, if he were to hire a CEO, will that CEO be any better than him? Because it, unless there be a search committee, I don't necessarily have faith in any kind of new CEO. No, John, he's going to hire a puppet for sure. Like he's going to hire somebody who's going to do what he wants to do. That's pretty clear. He owns the company still. I don't particularly think the CEO really matters. Now you talked about the poll. It's interesting because he said the poll was BS. It was all bots. And then he tried to switch it to make it so like Twitter blue could only vote on it because to entice people to subscribe to Twitter blue. But did you pay attention to this other poll, John? Uh, when they were trying to pass the omnibus bill, he put a, a poll on Twitter that said, um, do you support the bill? And majority was like 80% no. And then he waited for the results of the poll and then tweeted at, I think, Schumer, um, Pelosi, and, and other people in Congress and said, see, the, it's overwhelming. The American people, the public have spoken. They're against this bill. He doesn't understand that one the majority of people on twitter aren't necessarily americans right other people can vote on this bill that aren't americans two only 25 percent of of americans are on twitter or whatever the number is right and so it's he thinks that twitter is the be all end all he thinks that twitter is real life and although we've been caught in that trap before right but at the end of the day, there's people who are doing things and people who are talking about doing things. And Elon is one of those guys who talks about doing things. I don't think he'll ever step down. If he does, it'll be, um, like you said, like a puppet or somebody who just does what he wants to do. Um, but what what a joke that week was in Twitter this past week. Yeah, but and it's funny you say what a joke that week was. I think that's what we've said every week since Elon's uh, taken over Twitter. We've said what a joke that week was. Uh, but you know the man is 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 he's troubled, and you know I don't want to spend too much more time on him um, because we have a lot more stuff to go. So now one of the things that happened uh, last week and has been a story that's not only dominated last year, dominated the year before last, and that is the January six, um, well overall January six, but in particular January six hearings which did commence this uh, this year. Um, and this week we saw a number of things. We saw the criminal referrals. We saw that there'll be referrals to ethics, maybe some referrals to bar associations. And then we also saw the release of multiple transcripts, <coughs> as well as on Thursday, the 22nd, we saw the release of the actual 845-page report. So, yes, story of the year. But of the things that happened this week, what were the two or three things that stood out to you? What got your attention? What do you think was the most significant development of this past week? Of this past week specifically, John? Um, yeah, because I, I, like I say, I think we want to flag it as the story of the year. But uh, since, we, since there was a lot of breaking news this past week, what would you say is the most important element of the, of the January 6th revelations report? Um, transcripts that came out this week in in your opinion yeah um i don't know if this is too obvious of an answer but 
there is a criminal referral for four charges against uh, the former president of the United States, the front runner of one of the major parties, the two major parties in this country to the DOJ. I think that's, I understand that people knew this was coming and I understand that people uh, uh, know he's committed these crimes. So it's almost like it's not news anymore, but I think this is the first time this has ever happened before where there was a, a former president who had criminal uh, referrals sent to the DOJ on, on for him. And I just don't want that to get lost. This is, John, it's because we've lived through Trump and we're living through him in the moment, it's hard to really put him in his history. I know we talk to Brandon about that all the time. But you're talking 20, 30, 40 years from now. We'll talk about this stuff as the historic times that it is. The sitting president of the United States had was is proven, or the January 6th committee basically has evidence to prove four different criminal charges against the former president of the United States. When I think about that, I just think that's... Um, re- remarkable in the sense that it's it's a, a, a dot in history that I live through and I'm living through. And I think it's fascinating. I'm a history uh, nerd and I just appreciate the fact that I'm able to witness this. Now, I wish it never happened, obviously, but it, it did. And that's what we have to deal with. Um, another thing is he wasn't the only one, right? John Eastman, not John Eastman. Uh, is it, was it John Eastman? Yeah, I think John Eastman has um, criminal referrals. And then they sense to the house um you could explain it a little bit better but they talked about certain sitting congress people who um i don't know what they did but maybe need to get looked at a little bit more or held against ethics committees or whatever it was i'm sure you could explain it a little bit better but they just didn't think that the, the referrals to from what i understand adam schiff was explaining it that they would have never went anywhere if there were criminal referrals to the DOJ. So they just rather keep it in house as opposed to they rather go after the big fish is what I kind of took it as. But those are the kind of two things that took away this week. Yeah. Um, I thought a few things, obviously the criminal referrals and the criminal referrals were huge. I do think um, the whole Cassidy Hutchinson thing um, really struck me uh, because she basically had a lawyer who violated all sorts of, legal ethics and, you know, potentially is facing, uh, you know, uh, being disbarred if, if and being, and just, you know, in my opinion, being disbarred is the least they could do. Uh, the, the, that lawyer could easily be going to jail. Um, I do think, and I, you know, the cattiness in you and I, um, when we think about the fact that Maggie Haberman was called a friendly by the Trump people, uh, I think that's, I think that's a very fascinating thing. Um, but I also think that the, the key is, and it goes back to something I said before, uh, I think I've told you that my, in my opinion, and my opinion being based upon what I've seen historically, and also what's good po- politics and good strategy, I felt regardless of what happened in November that this was going to be the end of the January 6th commission for one reason, um, or for multiple reasons, I should say. I think the biggest reason is that there were three members, uh, Cheney and Kinziger, and then on the Republican side of Stephanie Murphy, who were never coming back. They opted, you know, well, uh, Kinziger decided not to run. Cheney lost in a primary that we knew Cheney was going to lose in. And then, um, you know, Murphy didn't run for re-election. So, uh, so, so what happened is you had a situation where you were going to lose a bipartisan 
Commission committee. Uh, you are going to lose a Democratic member. So that's the first reason I knew, regardless of what happened in November, the commission was going away. Secondly, and I hate to be, everything always has to be done through a political prism, but I also think that uh, keeping uh, the commission going for too long would be bad politics. I think that, you know, if it's an ongoing, never-ending thing, um, it goes from whatever advantages or advantage it would provide to Democrats, I truly believe it was it would have undermined them in the long run. Now, I do think that the good news is, and I don't know, is first of all, I was going to say they could transfer everything over to the, the Senate, but they really don't need to, because I think given what I've heard, that we know the Republicans are going to investigate the investigators it was in the best interest of the January 6th commission and committee to push everything out already because they did not want uh, gotcha moments. So by pushing everything out, we all know that it's probably sitting with Senate Judiciary or, 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 or Senate Intelligence or whatever committee. I'm assuming it's more going to be Judiciary. So I would think that if there's any other congressional action that needs to be taken, it will be actually done in the Senate. Um, and so... I think it was always going to be tied up in a bow by the end of this year, regardless of what happened. And I think that the Senate will be very conscious of it. It'll go in the background. And, you know, the other thing is the good news, bad news, as we've talked about with Garland, is he doesn't think politically. So a criminal referral doesn't increase the chances that he'll act, but the evidence will, the report will, you know, um, the criminal referral is something that that was that was a um, conclusion that the committee came to, but in, you know, quite frankly, they came to based upon the evidence. So I would assume that there's a greater than um, average chance that the evidence will definitely inspire the Justice Department to move. Yeah, it's interesting. There was a I, I agree about your political point about how how advantageous it would be for Democrats. I think. It served its purpose in that way with the 2022 midterms. Like that was certainly unexpected of uh, the Democrats to perform that way. And I think the January 6th commission helped. Now to get to your overall point, I, I agree, John, it's this idea that um, Schiff was talking about it. They were asking him how confident you are that Garland will follow these referrals or at least, at least out of the four, what are the ones you think that are for sure or not for sure or whatever? And Schiff said, we think we have him dead to rights on two of the four, which are the two, like the obstruction and the and the, and, and the the fraud case, where they just felt like there's in the indisputable evidence. I think it's gonna be harder to he said he's gonna he thinks it's gonna be harder to get the other two, but he he feels like there's sufficient evidence for those two as well. Otherwise they would have never sent them, right? I, I think he said they were batting 50-50 with the DOJ. They had sent criminal referrals so far or like, I remember there was people who had subpoenas and stuff like that, and he said they were batting 50-50, and so he wouldn't be surprised if this landed 50-52. But with that being said, I had a little bit of confusion, and I couldn't figure it out if the January 6th commission evidence would – can they use it? Can the DOJ use it? What I mean is you police officers might go investigate something and hear the neighbor say, oh, well um, – this person said this, they have to still go interview that person and 
retrieve the evidence or go look in that garbage can for the evidence. It, it can't be all hearsay. And so I had a question and Twitter answered it where basically the DOJ can just take the evidence and go into court and use it as their own. So I think that's that's the benefit of of the referrals is is that all the evidence that all the 11,000 pages, I know the report's 843 pages, but there was like oh, thousands of pages of text messages and evidence. Remember, John, this goes, the, they didn't really go after the Secret Service. They didn't really go after people who failed at the government level, right? And, and I just think that it was smart of them to keep the scope a little bit small because then it just becomes too big and then the, the story gets lost within Trump. So there's so much evidence here and I just don't see how any of this doesn't turn out bad for Trump. I just don't think he's that Teflon. And remember, Georgia's still a thing and the Mar-a-Lago raid, and we'll get into that. But there's just too much going on, and, and I think this was a big step towards the right direction. Yeah, now one of the things that is, and I don't know if it fits more with Mar-a-Lago or January 6th, but we'll throw it out. The other thing that happened, and it doesn't fit neatly right now in the show prep, especially in the year, but um, was this past week or last last week, the um, uh, Ways and Means released his taxes. And it's funny because there's a lot of acrimony and they're like, well, we're going to get payback. Well, quite frankly, all presidents, Republican and Democrat, released their taxes. So I don't quite, other than the fact that something that Trump didn't want to happen happened, I really don't know what really true payback is. Because most people who are running for president and vice president release their taxes, including Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. So what is the payback? Well, yeah, I think they're just upset and they want revenge. But look, look at it this way, John. They've been treated special. And I think they're upset that they are not being treated special anymore. I think the big story here isn't necessarily it is the taxes, but. The IRS, the IRS not audit. I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that coming in that the, the, the IRS audits the president uh, automatically. It's like a rule. And Obama and Biden were both audited. And Trump, for some reason, for the first two years was not until people kept asking. And the IRS is like, oh, we have to get somebody on this. And they just put one guy on it. Um, I think that's also a bigger story here, because, as you know, what Trump was was really successful at was deteriorating the reputation of all these institutions, right? The intelligence community and the CIA and the FBI and the DOJ. And now we know the IRS, right? The IRS clearly was playing politics here and didn't do something that they were supposed to do because Trump told them not to. And I think that's a bigger story here as well. Um, same thing with the Secret Service, right? Like I, I lost faith in the Secret Service over uh, what happened uh, on January 6th. So, yeah, I think this is a massive story. I, I'm glad we we talked about this earlier, and I was like, "It's going to be too late. It doesn't matter. It's going to be a holiday. They're not going to release some and blah blah blah." And they did, and they did, and they and they they made something into um, a story which it should have been, and that's the fact that the IRS didn't audit him. Now Republicans could cry and scream and whine all they want, but their their person was treated special and and uh, uh, and and not treated fairly. And they can't complain about that, but they will because that's all they know how to do is complain. Yeah, and 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 the, the thing is, is that you said the IRS couldn't, didn't even um, audit due to automatic audit, which I do think that there's got that's got to be looked at because don't forget, wasn't it uh, at least two of Trump's enemies in the FBI did get audited uh, during during that time, um, and you you have that that president hanging over your head. But the other thing, though, is 
they're out there and there you're going to see and don't forget especially if you look at what we know or what we will be finding out about some of the cases in new york as relates to as taxes um it's going to be hard if people look at his taxes and they see and hear some of the evidence has probably come out in the new york case the tax evasion case in new york um about well, right now, I think it's, I don't think he's been charged. Has he been charged criminally? I know the company was charged criminally in New York, but he's not been charged criminally personally in New York. They're just, uh, I know that she's doing a civil complaint, but their civil findings should actually trigger federal enforcement. Because if you're, if they can prove that he was lying about his taxes, that means he cheated the government, he cheated the treasury. And, you know, uh, I think I think a few times he paid seven hundred and fifty dollars in taxes, and once or twice he paid zero. Um, so I think what it does is one, there might be one or two bombshells, and you know, just like with both the uh, January sixth commission and now this, there's going to be, and this is where internet and 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 Twitter in particular are good, is there's going to be a lot of crowdsourcing. There's going to be a lot of sleuthing. And we're going to probably find out more little tidbits here, little tidbits there that um, it makes some sense. But um, I do think net net negative for Trump, uh, even if, you know, I think what I think when we first wanted his taxes, we were really wanting to see Russian money, Russian collusion. And we really, 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 really didn't see that. I'm not sure if we will see that, but I think it's fascinating. So. Now, next on the list is Ukraine. Again, Ukraine this year was invaded by Russia. And remember, it was supposed to be over really quick. And Russia was going to run Ukraine and take over Ukraine and seize Ukraine. They didn't. And they're still fighting. In this past week, um, the president of Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky, went ahead and he visited Washington he went to the White House, sat with Biden. Then he actually uh, gave an address to a joint session of Congress. So overall, what are your thoughts on this past week with, with Zelensky coming to town? John, I fu- maybe it's because I really love history and I read about these things a lot. I don't remember in my adulthood, I would say, a moment like this. And you, you could definitely correct me uh, later or now, but I just don't remember a moment where a foreign leader, let alone somebody who is fighting a war, just come and have a moment like this on American soil. Like, I just, I find it extremely fascinating. It was um, inspiring and it was courageous and brave. And and there was a lot of, like, we talk about the Secret Service logistics all the time. There was a lot of where did he fly from or their secret top secret mission. And I think he flew from Poland late, 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 and then straight here. So, I was fascinated with the fact that stuff like this doesn't happen uh, overnight. This was clearly, I think, in the works for a little bit, especially because um, we would not have the House anymore. And I don't know how that works as far as basically Republicans aren't welcoming. So I'm not sure what happened anyway. So it was pretty clear to me that they've been probably talking about it for a while. Also, it's not lost on me. I uh, I don't know if you know this. David Letterman has a show called uh, My Next Guest Needs No Interaction, and he actually interviewed Zelensky for a Netflix special, which I watched. And uh, Zelensky's biggest fear is that, you know, Letterman straight up asked him, I don't know if you saw it, but Letterman straight up asked him, you 
we might be running into a Congress that doesn't care. We might be running into a Congress that's not pro-democracy, especially for the people that they're voting for. And Zelensky wasn't dumb. I think the, the world stage is looking at America. And, and Biden was able to defeat uh, a, a autocrat or fascist, whatever you want to call him, Trump. And um, Zelensky was also fighting that off. And here at this moment where Zelensky's in the White House and two faces of people who are able, who are on the front runner or the front lines of, of fighting for democracy. So I just found it to be extremely uh, inspiring to see him um, there, especially like he wasn't in a suit. He was just like in his quote unquote uniform. And um, I, I don't know. I just found it to be a great moment for this country and for history. I've lived through a lot, John, and two impeachments of, of Donald Trump. And there's been a lot of moments in Congress, the John, John McCain moment, right? They're like healthcare and, and LGBTQ plus rights. And, and it's it just, there's been a lot of history made and this feels like it fits in right, right there. Right. Well, just so you know, and, and I want the listeners to know, um, foreign leaders speaking to Congress is actually something that happens quite a bit. I, I've just called up and I'm not going to go back in history, but, since 2009, Gordon Brown, who at the time was the Prime Minister of England, spoke. Merkel spoke to Congress. Netanyahu has spoken twice. Uh, Shinzo Abe has spoken. Uh, Pope Francis. Uh, Modi has spoken. Macron has spoken. Uh, the head of NATO has spoken. Uh, Zelensky uh, did it twice. This is the first time he did it in the halls. The last time he did it was via video. His wife has spoken. And uh, the Prime Minister of Greece spoke on March on May 17th. Now, most of them don't get the coverage uh, that this got. And most obviously, most of them are not in a situation. And I do believe that in the case, the the cases of Netanyahu, those may have been because, you know, Netanyahu and uh, Obama never had a good relationship. So those both may have been and those in both cases, those were Republican Congresses, uh, Republican-controlled House and Senate, um, and so those may have been attempts to uh, embarrass embarrass Obama. But you know, like you said, um, there was also belief between the spending, the, the money that came out of the omnibus for Ukraine. The reality is, is that there may have been something a lot more hostile um, if if it had gone to a different, you know, if it had gone to the Kevin McCarthy era, right? So. You know, I thought it was interesting, you know, and, and looking back for the year, um, Ukraine has been impressive. I mean, it's hard to believe it has not been a full year yet. Um, and I'm not sure how much longer it's going to go. But, you know, one of the things that has happened is we have increased, I think, what we're giving them as relates to arms. And so there, so there's a lot of things that are happening and parts that are moving that may make things, um, you know, a lot easier. I, I hope this thing comes to an end soon. Uh, and I comes to an end in Ukraine's favor. I do think, though, the thing that's fascinating is there's some people who feel like uh, Zelensky should negotiate. But I think some of the people, and it's going to be weird because I don't consider myself the hawk, and you don't you don't want to deal with loss of life and continue to you know make have people sacrifice their lives. But I think the way that the Ukrainians feel right now is. They, in a way, have the upper hand. I still think that Russia might still have more manpower and everything else, but Russia is taking losses that are outpacing anything that they should have anticipated. And they've got 
bad morale. The Ukrainians have good morale. Um, and I think the Ukrainians sort of feel that if they were to negotiate, they still have to give something up. And I think the Ukrainians see a path. And I think that's, I think that's really the story, right? Not just the fact that Russia went ahead and invaded Ukraine, but the fact that the Ukrainians actually see a path. Yeah, I, I think you're right on the money there. Also on the world stage, John, right? We talked about it with um, Eric. We talked about it with Brendan. Like, what what is the end game here for Putin? I don't think there you can go back to a Putin-led Russia. So I think Ukraine, not only they have a path, I think they see that they're on offense and they have a chance here to probably bring long-term security to Ukraine in exchange for the short-term security of the sacrifice. Now, nobody should have to sacrifice their lives, especially just everyday kind of normal citizens. But um, I think Ukrainians see it as, look, we can negotiate today and maybe have peace tomorrow, but he'll still be our neighbor and he just might regroup and come back again. Like we have an offense, we have our foot on their neck and let's just keep going until we finish this out. Now, I don't know what that looks like, right? Uh, Zelensky says that the only victory is uh, Russia completely out of Ukraine. So I don't think he's gunning for Putin's head or I don't think he wants Putin replaced or whatever it is. But I think globally, uh, there's incentive here to keep this um, momentum going and, and have it end in a, in a way where Putin's not there. I don't know what that looks like. Again, I'm definitely not an expert, but um, it just seems like Ukrainians know what's best and they, they're thinking long-term as opposed to uh, tomorrow, which, uh, but at the same time, when you hear Zelensky talk, he says, I wake up and I'm grateful to be here and then, and then I'll get to tomorrow, tomorrow. So it's probably, they're probably playing both games, unfortunately. Now, um, you know, we, we're going to close up the Ukraine discussion, and now that brings us to Roe versus Wade. And um, not a lot happened or anything happened this week as it relates to Roe versus Wade, but it was a huge deal. Um, one, I think, you know, let's, let's recap. Uh, uh, an opinion was leaked in May, I believe, that they were going to overturn Roe versus Wade. And then it was later on in June that they actually followed through and did. Um, and immediately... Uh, there was a special election in uh, New York that went Dems' way that was not supposed to go to Democrats' way. And then in addition to that, uh, there was, I believe, a constitutional amendment or something going on in Kansas that uh, the pro-choice forces rallied, got together, and won. And then, um, obviously, when we get to the midterms, I know the midterms are on the special mentions or honorable mentions, but the midterms actually were not as devastating to the Democrats. And a lot of people believe it was because of Roe versus Wade. So what are your thoughts on Roe versus Wade uh, and its role and its impact in this last year? Yeah, I, I, I think you're on the money again. It's the, I think the biggest referendum of 2022 was uh, voters coming out uh, and rejecting those kind of Republican extremisms. Uh, it was pretty clear that they went to vote for the women's right to choose. Uh, at least the majority of, of women did. And we won elections simply because of that issue, um, as we should, right? And so Republicans, and this is older than me, and you know it better than I do, Republicans have been aiming at this for decades, right? And they finally got what they want. I don't think they expected it to go as poorly as they did. Because here's the thing, John. We won the 2022 election. I say that because we did. <laughs> um, 
And it's still going to be on the ballot in 24. So Democrats get to turn around and put it on the ballot again in 24 by saying, hey, if you give up the Senate, if you give up the House again, if we lose the White House, they're going to ban this nationally. And I think Republicans made a fatal mistake and over... I don't know. I don't know if they expected this much heat. And and we talked about it before and there was no political upside to it, but you always said that it's just a long game. They play the long game and they were going after it for a long time. So um, look, I, I, I told you when it first happened that we should shove this in people's faces every single day. I think we should do it for the next two years, right? Whenever Biden runs, if he runs, whenever Democrats start running for the House and Senate in a year or so, um, this has to be the issue all over again. Make people understand that if Republicans win elections, women are going to ru- lose their right to choose. As far as the historical factor, um, yeah, I mean, you're talking about one of the biggest overturning. I don't know how to describe it, but one of the biggest things that's ever been overturned, and especially with the with how the Supreme Court looks, is that there is no there is no light at the end of the tunnel. If we don't lose, if we don't win the White House in 24. You're talking about maybe two seats get filled by a Republican president and um, the, the Alito and, and the, the Ter- Clarence Thomas seats gets filled and you're at a 6-3 majority for probably a decade or so. So um, we knew this was a possibility. We told people in, Hil- in 2015, 2016, this was on the ballot. If Hillary loses, women are going to lose their right to choose. And that's exactly what happened. So this is a big moment because it stretches back decades. It also stretches back to Hillary Clinton and making sure we, that she should have won. So a, a very, very layered and obviously nuanced um, situation. Well, and the thing you talked about is 24. Um, what's, I think where the Republicans have a problem is that they were successful in some states, uh, Indiana, I believe Ohio, uh, obviously a lot of Southern states in stripping women of that right. And I do think, as you know, we talked about why was the map different in 22, and we do think that Roe played a big role in that. Well, we've also heard that the map for the Democrats, especially in the Senate in 24, is going to be really tough. But I think that if you really start seeing the fallout of the overturning of Roe combined with some of the more punitive stuff, think about it, where... Where the punitive stuff is done, those are red states, right? It's not like the punitive stuff is in a blue state and, well, and people are going to be motivated. And, you know, if anything, when this is where it's troublesome, and I think, you know, our numbers were down this primary, while a lot of states saw their numbers go up, and I'm sorry, in the midterm, while a lot of states saw their numbers go up in the midterm, Illinois saw its numbers go down, and unfortunately, uh that might really be due because we are a good state when it comes to a woman's right to choose. But could you see some of the swingier red, some of those red states that are swingy, not deep red, although those can get a little shaky as well, but some of the, some of the red states that are still red, that are swing states uh, that may have some of the more punitive laws when it comes to choice, might we have a better chance as one, either holding on to the Senate in those states or taking back uh, those Senate seats. And two, same with House members. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, on on that as we talk about Roe and its impact on 24? I, I agree. But not only that, John, look at what we did in 22 with the just the local races, the state houses, governorships. I don't think we lost a single governorship in 22. Um, 
I think some people might think that, hey, I'm probably more affected locally than I am nationally. And we saw people split the ballot in Philly with Shapiro and Oz, right? It's this idea that the governor technically might have more power on me than the senator locally, right? So um, it might affect governorships in 24, or house races, uh, mayorships. I don't know if the mayorships is the right word, right? But it might affect these local races, state houses. Look what happened in Michigan, right? So um, I agree. It's going to be on the ballot in 24, but I also think it's a it's a big push for us to, to locally to show people that, hey, it matters who your governor is. It, 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 it always matters who your governor is. And so I just think we should always um, focus on local because I think it was so successful in 22. We always talk about Democrats and how they don't fight locally in the small races, the school board races, stuff like that. And we are seeing how that turned out with book banning and all this other stuff. So I think this is an opportunity for us to take it all the way down the ballot to to the most smallest seat in the smallest state and try to win those races. Yeah, and now one of the things, though, that we didn't really put on any level of on the show prep, but is the intersection between uh, what happened with Roe versus Wade and uh, the, the Supreme Court. Now, we are going to talk about Ketanji Brown-Jackson in, in the honorable mentions area, but when we think about it from the standpoint of uh, the stuff going on with Clarence Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, will be fascinating uh, would be if, if Biden wins and he still has a Democratic Senate, he's probably going to get a couple more Supreme Court seats. Um, what's funny is I actually saw someone actually, and I think it's too early, say that both uh, Sotomayor and um, Kagan should resign. But no, let let they've got they've got a lot more years. I don't think they I don't think we need to rush them out. But Clarence Thomas and Alito are getting up in the years, and I guarantee you, if there is a uh, Republican president. I wouldn't be surprised to see either one of those guys resign pretty early um, just because, um, you know, it's all about the control of the court. So um, before I move on to number one, uh, what are your thoughts, especially since, you know, it's launched with the discussion of Roe versus Wade, but what are your thoughts on the court and um, the behavior? I mean, we really didn't get into it, but there's been what we consider to be a lot of unethical behavior, not just this year, but going back, a couple of years. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think um, because it, I know it sounds weird, but I think because we had all three, the, we had Senate in the House and the White House, we were focused on legislation. And I think now that we're, we, we're not necessarily going to be as effective because of how we lost the House, I actually wonder if we could start playing a little bit more dirty games with the Supreme Court. Here's what I mean, John. We always talked about Republicans in elections, how they play dirty locally, et cetera. And Democrats started playing those games. And Democrats were, were trying to jerry or just as much as Republicans were. And Republicans started playing, or Democrats started playing the Republicans' game better. And I wonder if that's an opportunity here. John, you talked about if we win in 24 and we keep the Senate. I'll give you another scenario. What if we lose the White House but keep the Senate? We, like, what if those two seats open up and we have the Senate? Does Schumer or whoever... Is, is the lead, does he or she say, nope, we're not filling it? Does he, do, do they play the games that McConnell played for years with, with, with Garland and with, with, with RBG? So 
I think we have to start. And Hakeem Jeffries, I will say this. Hakeem Jeffries seems to be very vocal and very passionate about Clarence Thomas's ethic issues. I think, I think that's an opportunity for Hakeem Jeffries to, because he can't necessarily legislate in the house as much as he would, if he was in the lead, does he go, does he, I know the house is different than the Senate when it comes to judges, but does he make a, a public situation even more public by going after certain people? Right. Jenny, Jenny Thomas is a problem. It's clearly a, a problem. I think Alito's a problem as well. Also, uh, Amy Comey Barrett with all these going to these right wing kind of talks and, and award shows and stuff like that. So I think we as Democrats have to make a fuss about it just a little bit more in between the fact that we, we can't necessarily legislate as much. So I think this might be a good two years for us to kind of get a little bit dirty and, and push the narrative our way. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that, um, I like about Hakeem and I think the silver lining in the Democrats being in the majority minority. Uh, and I think there's a few silver linings. And I think one of the things I've always um, uh, felt is if it was going to be close, knowing some of the hijinks that people like AOC and some of the people on the far left who have issues with Hakeem Jeffries might pull, it's almost better for Hakeem and uh, leading the Democrats to start out in the minority because I think he has more time to, because, you know, you just have to get 50% plus one of your caucus to, 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 to be the leader. You Then you need at least 218 members of your caucus to vote for you when you stand for um, speaker, which is the problem that Kevin McCarthy is dealing with right now, right? And so I don't think, I do think that if um, the Dems had a slim majority, uh, that I, I definitely don't think it would be as bad as, Marjorie Taylor Greene's shenanigans with McCarthy, but I do think that it may, I don't think Hakeem would have been as strong if, he, you know, as I think he could be starting out in the minority uh, and then potentially taking back the house and taking back the house with a, with a significant wave. But in addition to that, in particular, I think what I like best about this, and we know uh, Brooklyn stand up when it comes to Hakeem Jeffries, um, as the Speaker of the House, he's got to be a little bit more diplomatic, at least on the Democratic side. He's got to be a little bit more diplomatic. He's got to be a leader. By being a minority leader, he gets to go into the attack dog mode and gets people to fall in love with him because, you know, he's still not a household name. He's a household name to people who really watch, but he's going to become more of a household name, you know, now that he's the leader. And, and I think him more so than Pelosi, who is very elegant, very stateswoman-like. Um, and I know she can get down and, 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 and do stuff, but, you know, after you've been speaker twice, it's less becoming to do that. So I, I think that Democrats, especially those who are still trying to say, who the hell is this Akeem Jeffries, I think they're going to fall in love with Akeem. And I don't, I hate not being in the majority. I don't like it. I don't like the fact that we didn't win. But I think we're going to enjoy watching Hakeem Jeffries being the leader of the minority and the opposition party in, in, in Congress. Yeah, 1,000%. I know we're, we're on time, but 1,000%. I want to see viral moments with him. I want to see speeches on the House floor. I want to see him go at certain people. And I think he will do that successfully. Right. And then and then when he hopefully ascends the speaker, then he'll be more statesmanlike. But no, right now, just go ahead, lay it out. Fight, you know, you know, you know. As that one song goes, put on for my city, put on for your party. 
right? And 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 of course, just you know, when it comes to keep Jeffrey Fu will get our fair share of hip hop references, not from us, but from him. Uh, and and so that'd be good. So I think the big story of the year, and it's funny because we started out with Trump a little bit earlier, but we're going to come back to Trump, and that's the Mar-a-Lago raid. Uh, Trump was raided, <laughs> and they found the goods. But they didn't find all of them, which is actually even worse for him, because I'm still convinced that some of the stuff that's missing is be- missing because he don't even have it. He may have given it to someone else. But let's talk about that as the story of the year. And what are your thoughts and what was your reactions when you first heard on heard of the January? Uh, I'm sorry, the Mar-a-Lago raid. And in addition to that, um, how the story has progressed. Yeah, you know, when you talk about the top five of the year, I think all the other four are sig- more significant big picture rides. Certainly Roe affects much more people than the Mar-a-Lago raid. I think the reason that this is number one is because <laughs> the former president of the United States, his home was raided by the FBI, John. And and he's, the, he's not that he was president 10, 15 years ago, and he's like this, this random guy now. He's the front runner. He might be president in 24 and they raided his house, right? And that's historic. It's never been done before, right? It's just never been done before. And so I think that's why it's the biggest story of the year. Um, honestly, John, when that day happened, it was the, one of the best days on Twitter I've ever remembered. We had a lot of fun with it. And I think the reason we had fun with it is the same reason we had fun when when that, that beautiful Saturday that they called the race for Biden is a lot of people knew that this was was supposed to happen. Like people for years have been saying, this guy's a crook. He's corrupt. We knew while he was president, he was doing things that were corrupt. Um, destabilizing institutions, right? Ruining this country, right? Backdoor meetings with Russia without the media there. Telling the White House photographer to stop filming. January 6th. Like we knew that so many things, he was committing so many crimes and we wanted to see him punished or at least sought after like we would have been if we were committing those crimes. And I think that's why the Mar-a-Lago raid is important is the follow three. If, if nobody holds him accountable, then what's to say the next person just doesn't do it. DeSantis, I don't know if you've been watching, DeSantis is pivoting extremely hard, right? He's not, he's not playing the center. And I know in the primary you go hard and then towards the general, you go back to the center, but He's pivoting extremely hard, right? And there, there, he's a he's a smarter version of Trump. So to hold Trump accountable, that's what the story is about. Trump has gone away with got away with too much for too long, and this is just the first step. Remember, Georgia's the thing. He lost the suit with the SDNY. That's obviously civil, right? Um, there's so many things going on, and this was a this was kind of the personification of that to say, look, we're in his house. We got the like you said. It's not that they didn't find anything. They found a lot. They were releasing pictures of it, right? And so it, I just think this is one of the greatest, I think one of the biggest stories of the last, I don't know, 10 years, 15 years, maybe 50, 20, 100 years. So I think it's definitely one of those. It's, it's that big. Well, I think one of the things, so, and this is what, and it's, it's really compounded by the irresponsibility of Republicans. I think what a lot of people don't want to acknowledge is that, but whether it's January 6th, which we talked about earlier, or Mar-a-Lago, um, we need to pause and put a break on some things for one reason. What happened in both of those scenarios is so upsetting and troubling 
and potentially dangerous to our democracy. Now, you know, and, and you know, don't forget, we're still potentially looking at, and I think we're confident that we'll probably see some charges coming out of uh, Georgia as well for election interference. But all three cases were threats to our democracies, threats to our national security. And this wasn't some actor. These were threats to our democracy and threats to our national security from a sitting president of the United States, or in the case of the Mar-a-Lago files, they did not become problematic until he was no longer president. But I guarantee you, any kind of Mar-a-Lago investigation is going to probably figure out if there were some malfeasance and some crime, um, some criming, so to speak, other than just an innocent a mistake. I guarantee you, those started before he left office. And when we think about that, um, we need to take a beat. We need to really reevaluate what's going on in this country and what not really what's going on, but what went on and how someone, the most important person in this country, the most powerful person in this country, the person who is ultimately responsible for our well-being as a country was not acting in our best interest. And I'm not talking about making a bad decision here or bad decision there. No, this was actually criminal behavior. And I don't think, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, do you think America has really accepted the true danger and the true betrayal that Trump has committed? Um, yes and no. I say yes because five straight elections, right? Twenty. 2018, 2020, the runoffs, 2022, the runoff, we, they've come out because Trump is on the ballot. Um, if not directly, then indirectly. So I do think that they recognize it. But I say no because we don't yet know what we don't know, right? Let's say Trump, DOJ finds out tomorrow that Trump sold something to the Saudis to give Jared that $2 billion deal. I think we would be even more devastated and more hurt and more upset, right? So we don't know the whole scope of this yet. We're barely, I think, in my opinion, scratching the, the, the surface of it, right? This is one of those iceberg moments where it looks bad, and then when you look underwater, it's even worse. It, it could only be worse, right, John? There's no reason to have those documents unless you weren't showing them to people. We know Jared Kushner has this weird deal, and now there's this Musk and Saudi deal. Like, all of it's connected. All of it's the same thing to me. We know self-admittingly that the Trump kids say that they all their money is is Russian money. Uh, we saw Kevin McCarthy and Paul uh, Paul Ryan in 2014 talk about. I think Putin owns two people, and one of them is Trump, right? So I think they don't really grasp. I don't think the American public really grasped it fully yet because I don't think we know the full story yet, and I think that'll take time and. Um, I think that'll just come with time. It might be long after he's gone. It might be long after we're gone when some of these files start getting um, unredacted and get released to the public, right? So I just think yes and no, because we continue to show up to reject them. And then no, because I just don't think the whole story's there yet. Yeah, but like I say, when if he's held accountable and any of this stuff goes to court, and trust me, when you think about going back to January 6th, and as people go through the files, those files and stuff that they have that's going to be damaging, it's a, it hits different. It hits different when you are in a court of law. 
and the people, whether we can watch it or not, when they say the president of the United States did this. And then if he's actually convicted and that gavel hits on a guilty, no, it's no longer speculative. You now could potentially have a former president of the United States who is a felon, a felon who could potentially be charged with sedition. Can you imagine the president? It's one thing when um, the Oath Keepers, Stuart Rhodes and those guys get caught, you know, and that's troubling. But if that uh, seditious conspiracy goes all the way to the Oval Office, I don't think that even those of us who know, and I'm not sure you've ever been in this position where you know something's going to be bad, right? But when it happens, when it truly happens, when it truly goes down, when it's truly finally adjudicated, even you who knew it was going to be bad was not prepared for how bad it was going to be. And that is what I'm saying is I just don't really know if this country is prepared uh, for to see a former president indicted and to see him go to trial and to be ultimately convicted. And like I say, on the one hand, it's for those of us who can't stand them, it's like rah, rah, rah. But at some point in time, is that rah, rah, rah going to be like, fuck? You know what I mean? Because it really sets in. Your, your thoughts Your thoughts on that? Uh, I think uh, I agree. I agree with your sentiment, but it's set in for me. And that's why I think um, I feel I understand what you're saying. I remember waking up. I don't know if you remember this, John. It was one of the biggest moments of my life. But January 7th, I woke up and I just texted you. It was probably 7, 7.30 in the morning. And I texted you and said, I'm just still so upset. Like, I felt so betrayed as an American. I don't think I could ever feel as low as I did on January 7th. Because they literally attempted to overthrow the American government. I don't think people grasp that part of it. I personally do. And that's why I don't think it gets... I I don't know if it gets lower than that. It it could get lower because if they succeed, right? So for me, it'll be more rah, rah, rah. Because I know all the things that he's done. But maybe you're on something. Maybe this just this idea that um, this is so big that we don't know what to feel until it happens, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, um, it's 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 going to be one of those where um, I just don't think America is ready for it. I really, truly do not think America is ready for the. It's going to be traumatic. That's what I'm trying to say. I guess I. I think that there's going to be a trauma there that, I don't know, have you, has there ever, have you, I'm not sure if there's another analogy or metaphor in your life where, has it been something where you wanted to see someone held accountable and then when they are, you're like, man, I mean, it, it's almost like the first time when, well, it was like the first time I saw the Laquan McDonald tape, right? We, we, we knew to keep, you know, we knew in different parts of the country police had been killing unarmed black men or or even if they had an arm and in the case of Laquan, he had a little knife. Um, you know how bad it is, but then when you see it, and I'll never forget, I will tell you, and this is going to sound really weird, and I hope I can get back to binging it. Um, you're going to, being the filmmaker, you're going to love this. I was a big fan of Dick Wolf's entire Chicago series. Um, Chicago PD, Chicago Fire, Blah, blah, blah. And I watched him religiously. Do you know that after Laquan McDonald 
I have not been able to watch one episode of Chicago PD. Um, that first time, even though I'd been seeing stuff going on, um, that first time I realized that, wow, the, our, the Chicago Police Department um, is, is got a lot of people who are very corrupt and will cover up, even the good ones who will cover up. That really messed me up. And I sort of feel... And even though we knew it and we saw it elsewhere, we you know, Michael Brown and other places, but there was something about the Laquan experience that just really, you know, it messed me up. And until this day, I've not been able to watch Chicago PD, right? I still watch Law and Order. You know, I'm very supportive of the police. But there was something about that experience that just screwed with me and has impacted me. And I think that is going... And I think... Even the people who are rah rah rah, it's there's going to be a re, a reaction that I don't think most people are anticipating that they will have. Even people who want to see him convicted. That's what I'm trying to say. I, I don't disagree with you because it's it's never been it's never been done before, and so how would you how will you truly know what we're going to feel until we go through the thing that we've never been through before? So, uh, do I want to see a Trump perp walk? Yes. Do I want to see him on on CMZ in a courtroom with the with the stencil? Yes. Uh, do I know how I'm going to feel? Probably not. But I want to get there and see how we go from there. Right. But I think I, you know. Here's the main thing. I think what the conviction does, and again, it's different when it's Stuart Rhodes and Enrique Tario, who's not who's not yet been tried. But I think what it does is it goes from. We all think the man's dirty to a jury found this man dirty and he's convicted. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's, I think that's the, that's how it hits, you know? So, you know, I think we went through the top five. Now uh, we, 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 let's do a lightning round. Um, we'll say a couple of words. And I'm going to go through the eight that we put down as honorable mention. So the first is speaker Pelosi. I'll go first. Great career. She's going out on top. I do not expect her, even though she says she's going to serve a full term, I do not expect her to serve, serve a full term. But she is the GOAT. She's the best, and she deserves all of her flowers. Yeah, it's like watching Jordan or Brady or somebody retire. Like, we saw the prime of them. They were they were certainly the GOAT. I agree with your assessment. I don't think she'll stay the whole time. But uh, we should celebrate her, and, and, and we should uh, we should be proud of, of everything she's accomplished. Right. Next, Kentaji Brown-Jackson, first black woman on the Supreme Court. Uh, Joe Biden is essentially promises made, promises delivered. It's huge. Um, what's fascinating is there's only three uh, democratically appointed members of the Supreme Court. All three are women. And one is black, one's Latina, one is Jewish. So it talks about the changing nature of the United States. And um, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, congrats to her. She's, um, man, super smart. All the court cases that have been leaked and stuff like that, she's really done um, a great job so far. Uh, she's the first. I don't think she'll be the last, and I don't think that um, that'll happen too much further in the future. I think there's another one coming soon, hopefully. Yes, next, Will Smith, Oscar Smack. I'm, gonna, I'm not sure if I ever shared this attitude with you. First and foremost, um, I am going to tell you this. I sort of feel that the people who wanted him held accountable are going to go too far. The people who feel he is, he should not pay a price are wrong too. I, 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 it's, it's, 
I think in our country, and I think the Will Smith experience is, is indicative of what's wrong in this country, is either we uh, we don't know how to do punishment. I mean, granted, I want to see Trump punished. But in, in a case like this, something's very something very subjective. Um, I think that those who want him held accountable are going to go too far. I don't think the man should be uh, even banned from next year's Oscars. Um, I don't think he should have, to, I don't think his career should suffer, but I also think that it's also kind of foolish for people who don't think anyone should have a problem with his behavior. I think the only people that, um, I think should be entitled to any kind of bad feelings about it are Will Smith, Jada Pinkett, and Chris Rock. Um, other than that, I'm ready for to see Emancipation or whatever Chris's new, uh, Will's new Smith, Will Smith's new film is. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Will Smith, big fan of Chris Rock, and I just hate that two of my favorites are, are still appear to be beefing, but, um, you know, that's how I view that at this point. I'll add Quest Love to your people who should be upset because it was his award that he was should have had in his moment, but um, I agree. I also think that this is going to come to a head in February because Will Smith would be nominated for an Oscar if it wasn't for all this, for this movie Emancipation. And I think voters are going to have a hard time grappling with, do we let him back? Do we not let him back? I think the 10 year ban is too much. I think that's borderline uh, lunacy and cruel and unusual. And I think that'll get reversed eventually. I also think that some of this reaction is racial because some of the uh, people who are talking are saying, Oh, he could have killed Chris Rock or he should be put in jail. And I just think that some of it, I hated the entire conversation around it. And, um, I think he deserves he deserves what he earned, and him and Chris should figure that out. And it has nothing to do with us, right? Queen Elizabeth passed. Um, it's it's fascinating. Uh, I watched The Crown. Um, she's been around a long time. Um, I actually, you know, I I won't talk about her. Although I am pissed at uh, Will and Kate, but I always felt though that um, I thought that she should just leapfrog over Charles and give it to Will, even though I'm not a Will fan because of the whole Meghan Markle stuff. Um, but I also think that, um, I think I, I'm always laugh at how there's a big royal contingent, including my girlfriend in America, who just, you know, watch and are ruled by it. And look, I'm team Megan because I'm team Megan, but other than that, I can care less about what's going on with the monarchy. I couldn't, I could care less than you, John, I never watched The Crown. I don't particularly care about any of that stuff. If the movie takes place in the 1900s in Britain, count me out, right? With all due respect to those filmmakers. But uh, I did watch the Harry and Meg doc on Netflix, and I'm totally team Harry, totally team Meghan. Uh, so if she leaves Frog Wills and give it to Harry, who's, the, I think, the deserving king eventual. Um, but, yeah, the queen, obviously a massive story. She's been around a long time. Uh, her hands are in a lot of things. So, um yeah, I guess rest in peace to her. Yeah. Someone, I'm going to get to that, but someone uh, I saw on Twitter today, someone actually equated that one scene, the opening scene, in the, one of the opening scenes in Black Panther, when uh, they showed up and he's like, I got to go back to claim my crown, you know. And I'm like, you know, that could be Harry. You know, that that's what they were saying. Next, uh, Brittany Griner. I'm glad she's home. I'm still, you know, it was a it was a bad situation. Um we got her out. I'm home. I was, as I said, I think to you before, I was a little upset with the people who never really paid attention to the whole issue of these uh, political prisoners and just felt that Biden could have done more. I, I Maybe he could, maybe he couldn't have. But when you look at the fact that Paul Whelan is still there 
and some other things. I think that it was the only thing that could have gone right was her not getting captured at all. But I think when she was captured, all bets were off. And I think that she probably came home at the earliest possible time she could come home. And I felt that a lot of criticism that Biden received from the left and from the people who were pro-Britney, uh, Brittany, um, they, I, I support their advocacy. I support everything they did, but I just think it was misplaced. I think he was doing all he could do. Yeah, shout out to BG. Welcome home. I also think she has a tough road ahead of her because a lot of these political prisoners say it takes a toll on you for a long time, physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually. So uh, let's support her in every way she needs. I think the whole conversation around Biden and any sort of political points that people were trying to score was misplaced as well. I just think it's 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 it sounds stupid but we charge it to the game this is part of it the only person responsible for bg being captured was putin it was clear it wasn't bg's fault it wasn't biden's fault it wasn't anybody's fault but him and all the smoke should have been deserved his way and i think everything else was kind of just political fodder next we have the midterm it's funny that it didn't make the top five but let's just say this and um i was always optimistic we held on to the senate uh, we did not get beat in the House. I mean, for all practical, if if you look at how happy and how good the Democrats are moving and all the, the chaos in the Republican Party, you would think the Democrats won. But more importantly, I think the biggest issue, uh, the, the big thing with the midterm is remember this. Everyone that said, everyone that's going out there and saying that Joe Biden's unpopular are also the same people who predicted a red wave and that red wave did not come. That's my case. What, what, are, what are your thoughts on the midterms? I want to say RIP to the narrative that Democrats don't win. RIP to the narrative that Democrats are losers. RIP to the narrative that Democrats don't know how to message. I think Democrats killed so many different negative narratives in 2022. We clearly won messaging. We clearly won the legislative battle. We accomplished so many things. And we knew how to communicate that to the American people. Also, kudos to the American people for understanding the moment and meeting it and, and showing up in Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, and, and voting for the only sane person on the ballot, which was those respective people. So, yeah, Democrats are winners, and I look forward to winning more. So are we sick of winning yet, John? Is, is, is no, Trump not, 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 sick, not <laughs> sick of winning. Next, Biden accomplishments. It's funny, again, not top five, but huge. And, and let's not even go through them because it's kind of hard because we just – but let's just say that he's had – with Pelosi, with Schumer, and people who we are told are really bad, you know, really old, very successful. We also have to give a shout out to the vice president, who is really underappreciated, gets a lot of online hate, and she's doing a kick-ass job. But Joe Biden, you know, I understand the arguments about him being too old, but other than him age-wise being a little bit older than we're comfortable with, he has done nothing nothing, nothing, nothing to lose his job. He, everything he has done is earned him another four years, in my opinion. 1,000%. It's funny that this is the most successful midterm since FDR, because I think it's the most successful two years since FDR, right? Credit to Obama. He did a lot of things. Healthcare, obviously, no, no, like guaranteed it was a massive success. But Biden has passed legislative bills that are going to have uh, – a good consequences for the next decade, right? And what he did with Kintaji, like the first black Supreme Court justice, child tax credits, um, infrastructure, climate change, 
he really delivered two years worth of legislative battles that um, nobody's ever done really before FDR, right? And then you can count the war and all that stuff in FDR's favor. So the 2022 midterms were a referendum on Biden in the best way possible because people wanted more of it. Right. And the last honorable mention is the mass shooting Uvalde. We had Uvalde, we had Colorado Springs, we had Buffalo. I'm sure we were missing others. There were so many. Illinois? Huh? Illinois, right up by us. Yes. Oh, yes. The 4th yes. of July, right? Right. Uh, uh, that was Highland Park. Um, you know, it's it's distressing. It's upsetting. Uh, but more importantly, it's avoidable. And um, we got some good legislation passed. Uh, not enough. We have a lot of work to do. Um, Illinois, the state that we live in right now, is working on a potential assault weapons ban. But this is a this is something that Democrats need to run on. Again, you, you would hate to say that you don't want to politically leverage this, but there's an opportunity. But more importantly, by politically uh, 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 leveraging it, you also have the best opportunity of actually solving the problem and doing and putting forth solutions. So that's that's my take on Uvalde and the other mass shootings. I don't know if I had that take because that's what Beto did. Like Uvalde, he lost Uvalde by 20 points. And the, the mishandling that Abbott and those officials had in Texas was so disheartening. And the fact that voters came out and voters were informed plus 20 is mind-blowing to me. I don't know if this is going to win, happen legislatively. I don't know if we, we go about it by laws or executive power. I don't know what to do. I'm very disheartened around this conversation because it's pretty clear to me if you allow Uvalde to happen and then vote for the people who allowed it to happen, then I'm not sure, I'm not sure what to do after that. Right. That is true. But on that note, we're out of time. And uh, that is a wrap for 2022. Uh, we'll be back next week with our predictions for 2023. I'm going to say we're going to try to be back next week. We're going to be back next week. But the way that the timeline has been going, the same way the news has been going, we might not be able to do a prediction show because we might have to deal with some hardcore news. Although we can do just like we did this week and base our predictions on what happened in the upcoming week. So your thoughts as, as, as we sign off? I can't wait. I'm excited. My prediction show is always the favorite, my favorite show of the year. Happy holidays to everyone, obviously. All right. Thank you very much. Happy New Year.